Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. By now, you've probably heard a lot about the Ottawa protests. They're still going on. And now there's also truck blockades at two border crossings between the U.S. and Canada, including the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor, Ontario, the busiest crossing in North America. Over the past two weeks, we've looked at the political reaction to the protests and how the ongoing occupation of downtown Ottawa has affected residents. But now we want to focus on the people behind the protest movement. Who started it? And who's in charge? Today, Globe reporter Colin Fries will help us understand who's leading the protests. This is The Decibel. Colin, thanks for speaking with us today. I'm quite happy to be here. So we've seen trucks and protesters occupy downtown Ottawa for like a a week and a half now um, after convoys traveled from different parts of the country to to get to the capital. Who started organizing all of this? Yeah, I I think one of the, uh, you know, key questions and, and key points to debates around this protest has always been is, you know, are the truckers in the driver's seat or are they along for the ride? And certainly a look around the downtown streets of Ottawa would tell you there's a lot of rigs, drivers of rigs that are involved in this protest, tractor, uh, transport trailers. Um, that's not in fundamental dispute. I think, though, when you look in the organizing ranks, the sort of upper echelon, while there's truckers represented, there's also a lot of figures uh, from the populist right who are not career truckers and who have been involved in a number of uh causes, you know, unrelated to the trucking industry. So do we have, I guess, a, a key figure? Like who's really the person who, who kind of started all of this? Uh, it is a broad assortment uh, of people from a variety of causes that have converged here. But the, the three people whose names you keep seeing over and over are uh, Tamara Leach, Benjamin Dichter, and Chris Barber. They are the mm-hmm. people who generally, you know, who put their names to uh, the leadership of the uh, convoy memos. And how did all of this start? Do we have a sense of where things really began? Well, I think you really have to rewind the tape to almost a time before the pandemic. There's a few ideological precursors to this current convoy protest. I think the the one that's cited quite a bit is the 2019 United We Roll uh, Yellow Vester sort of protest, which which saw much smaller numbers of uh, trucks come from Alberta, I think, go to Ottawa, have a protest, and then leave. Can you remind us what the United We Roll was about? Yeah. You know, United We Roll was, was kind of, you know, one part's Western alienation, one part sort of oil and gas and pipeline issues, one part people, you know, being concerned about illegal immigration uh, and, you know, one part people who really didn't like the Liberal government and, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, that was all sort of mixed in. But, you know, so what's happened over the next two years, what happens over the next two years, the pandemic happens and the governments mm-hmm. of all governments, federal and provincial, gravitate towards powers that are by any measure uh, heightened and greatly heightened. We see uh, federal governments sort of closing off border points. We see provincial governments 
you know, uh, basically shutting down businesses, shutting down schools. Mm -hmm. We see uh, mask mandates and vaccine mandates go into effect. And while I would say the fact that, you know, high 80s, 90% of Canadians are now vaccinated and have gone along with these measures, there's always been a sort of, you know, vocal minority of people who are, you know, dead set opposed uh, to these these vaccine mandates. You mentioned a woman named Tamara Leach. Who is she and, and, and what's been her role in all of this? Yeah, Tamara Leach is, she's been described as the leader of this current protest more than others. She's been hmm. certainly more front and center than almost anybody else. These past two years, the COVID mandates have divided us. This protest be- began because of the federal government's restrictions on trucker freedoms. Our movement has grown in Canada and across the world because common people are tired of the mandates and restrictions in their own lives. She, you know, she is, describes herself as a Métis woman from Alberta, somebody who has ties to the oil and gas uh, industry. You know, she's been involved in, I think, Western separatist politics. She's, she's been involved with what's been known as the Maverick Party, a sort of political, upstart political party which would like to secede from the rest of Canada. And she's also the person, I believe, who started that GoFundMe fundraiser. Is that right? Yes. There was two names attached to the initial GoFundMe. Uh, Tamara Leach and uh, and Benjamin Dichter came in at a later stage. Mm-hmm. Benjamin Dichter is an interesting figure in his own right. He was a downtown Toronto political candidate running for the Conservative Party in 2014 and 2015. He mm-hmm. gave a, a, a speech in 2019 to Maxine Bernier's People's Party of Canada, where he denounced what he calls political Islam, which which seems to have been, you know, groups like the Muslim Brotherhood are trying to infiltrate Canada and Canadian political parties. It's not a view that I don't think is supported in much fact, but, you know, he actually stood up in front of the People's Party of Canada in 2019, you know, describing uh, political Islam as a, you know, a threat to Canadian society at large and even encouraged all political candidates in the coming election in 2019 to sign a form saying that they stood against this. this. So, And I found certain documents in a Toronto court saying that uh, Benjamin Dichter is being sued for these, uh, what some people would consider Islamophobic views and uh, for disparaging a Islamic charity. So hmm. now Dichter has recently sort of appeared on Fox News and uh, other talking about driving a truck. COVID comes along and now they're treated like insects by the bureaucracy. Exactly, by insects. Wow. Benjamin Dichter, I hope And I asked his lawyer, his defense lawyer in the lawsuit, does he actually own a truck? And um, what the lawyer did say that it's his understanding that Benjamin Dichter now uh, does some work as a trucker as well, which was surprising. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's an interesting background that, that you've managed to find there. So we have these two figures, Tamara Leach and Benjamin Dichter, who started this this GoFundMe fundraiser. I just want to quickly ask, what happened with the millions of dollars that was raised there? Well, yeah, that was, I mean, the initial uh, $10 million uh, fund that was raised from a multitude of sources, giving the truckers a, a huge war chest to for supplies of food and fuel that could keep them in Ottawa indefinitely, GoFundMe was under enormous pressure uh, to not relay those funds. And ultimately, GoFundMe chose not to do that. It returned the funds to donors. GoFundMe found that the protest had evolved from its original stated aims. Uh, GoFundMe found a violation of its terms of service, uh, saying that it was crossing into the promotion of violence and harassment. And with that, the sort of poof, uh, $10 million from GoFundMe 
disappears, but that's not the end of the story. Yes, and, and we are going to get into the, the money angle for sure because there's a lot of interesting things there. Um, but I guess just to go back to like the organization that's, that's happening here. So a bunch of organizers, including Tamara, held a press conference on February 3rd. Who are the spokespeople who are involved here in, in representing the movement? Yeah, well, I mean, Tamara is certainly one of them. Benjamin Dichter is, is certainly a, another one of them. Uh, there's folks like, uh, you know, Chris Barber, who is, uh, I believe, a, a trucker from Saskatchewan, who is, is sort of emerged as a sort of third person in the triumvirate. And after that, we, you know, it, it fans out into a whole bunch of other uh, people and personalities. Okay, yeah, that's that's. Thank you for laying that out because that it does help us understand this. I want to ask you about that the the press conference that was just this week. Uh, at that press conference, we heard a man say that they wanted to sit down with the opposition parties and and the governor general. I'm willing. I'm willing to sit at a table with the Conservatives and the NDP and the Bloc as a coalition. I'll sit with the Governor General. You put me at somebody, put us at the table with somebody that actually cares about Canada. Who was that person who, who made that statement? Yeah, so that was Tom Marazzo. He's a, you know, he appears to be doing some computer uh, science work these days, but I think he's a former Canadian Forces soldier, and he described himself as certainly somebody who, you know, was using his past background in security uh, writ large to, you know, to be the interface between uh, the protesters and Ottawa police and parliamentary precinct police and other other groups. Now, he was not, you know, inventing this this concept. You know, he, he said basically at a press conference, we will sit down with the governor general, the Bloc Québécois, the conservatives, you know, but he also paid no recognition to the fact that there is a, a liberal government in Canada in the House of Commons that was elected just this past fall. Uh, in fact, you know, there was a manifesto uh, produced in December by a group, I think, called Canada Unity. You know, it is one of the many groups affiliated with this cause, but it was a very lengthy document spelling out how the uh, this coalition, these groups that are coming together in the name of the the Freedom Convoy 2022, would like to enter into a pact with the Governor General of Canada and the Senate of Canada to sort of take control of essentially the entire country and, you know, do away with all the pandemic measures that have been imposed at the federal and provincial level. Now, they put out uh, an update, I think, just yesterday saying that the MOU does not reflect the spirit and the intent of the Freedom Convoy Movement 22. Yeah. Even though essentially... So essentially they withdrew it. Is, isn't that right? Essentially they withdrew it this well, week. Well, they, they said, yeah, squarely. We are immediately withdrawing the MOU as we do not want any unintended interpretations to continue. Though disavowed, now animated a lot of the, the trucker convoy uh, language and rhetoric, you know, and all this, this notion that the trucker convoy could themselves be a force of government by aligning with any combination of the opposition parties in the House of Commons or the Senate or the Governor General kind of is an end run around the fact that there is a, a duly elected uh, liberal minority government in power that has signaled that it's in no way going to submit to this protest and do away with uh, the pandemic measures. Um, so Tom Morozo, you mentioned, was also kind of liaising um, with between the government and then the authorities, I guess, essentially. Are there other people here um, who are talking to the police on behalf of this movement and kind of, I guess, being a, a go-between between the, the, the authorities and, and this movement? Yeah, just there are an, a number of uh, people who actually used to work in federal security agencies who are now claiming to be doing intelligence for the convoy or police uh, liaison for the, the convoy. 
and uh, Morazzo is one of them. Uh, another figure is uh, Corporal Daniel Bulford, who was, um, you know, came to the public's attention last fall as this, under the banner of a MounteesForFreedom.com, which in which he came forward as a Mountie who used to do personal protection uh, for Prime Minister Trudeau, but is now is is no longer Mountie and is dead set against the vaccine mandates. But I will not participate in this authoritarian type behavior. I refuse to. And I would encourage my law enforcement brothers and sisters out there, if what vaccinated or not doesn't matter, do not enforce unjust regulations and COVID measures. You know what I mean? Like, you know, another another figure is Tom Quiggin, a former, I guess, intelligence analyst um, at the Privy Council office from um, I think the early two thousands. He is an intimate of Benjamin Dictor and also getting sued for allegedly defaming an Islamic charity. So, uh, you know, but he did, Quiggin did have a role in a federal security agency, you know, uh, many years ago. So like any big movement, there's a lot happening online, of course, as well, uh, on social media. Who would you say is the most influential voice uh, attached to the convoy who's, who's speaking online? Yeah, I, I, it, it's hard to gauge the overall uh, influence of, of any of these folks, but uh, Pat King is certainly right up there. I mean, he is, uh, is this ubiquitous presence on social media in the context of the current trucker convoy protest. He, he's not been afforded leadership status per se, but he seems to be enormously influential to his constituency. So Pat King, uh, you know, announced himself as a, you know, a sort of instrumental figure in the current trucker convoy protest. He's He's been, you know, spending hours almost each day on, on social media. What the Canadian Anti-Hate Network has done is, you know, highlight that, that King has posted about the Anglo-Saxon replacement theory where immigrants and refugees will be will be taking over Canada from, you know, essentially people of, of British descent. It's called depopulation of the Caucasian race or the Anglo-Saxon. And he disavows, of course, ties to racism, uh, you know, or being a racist or, or conspiracy theorist for that matter. Mm-hmm. And and he he does seem to at least um, be speaking directly to protesters from social media. Seems to you know at least at least in some ways talking directly to people. Um, for example, when the the injunction went down earlier this week about stopping horn honking in Ottawa, he posted a video telling truckers to to stop. I need everybody's attention. Spread this out far and wide to everybody out there. One hundred percent need all truckers dead silent on the horns. Everybody, dead silent on the horns. And I don't know, we can't really say how much of an influence that actually had, but he is speaking directly to people. So it sounds like a a substantial part in this, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you don't see Pat King's names on the memos. But, you know, Pat King is, is I would say, is a ubiquitous uh, social media presence who many people might conflate to be a leader of uh, of the pro- pro- convoy protest. Okay. And we're just looking. So he's got over 300,000 uh, followers on Facebook. So yeah. substantial, substantial reach there. 
Yeah. And of course it all gets endlessly recycled onto other platforms. And, uh, you know, so he is just, he is just, uh, he probably has the single most, uh, biggest, uh, social media presence of any of the figures. Hmm. Okay. Let's bring it back to the money. Cause we, we started talking, we talked a little bit about the GoFundMe fundraiser initially. It's essentially been dissolved, I guess now, but there's other fundraising that is in the works currently. What else is at play here? And, and, and who's been organizing this? Last Friday evening, it was, you know, GoFundMe pulled the plug and the uh, the organizers, Tamara Leach, immediately was on social media urging people to use an alternative uh, crowdfunding service known as, as Give, Send, Go. And, you know, earlier, Give, Send, Go basically put out a press release, a statement saying, we would love to have GoFundMe's business. We are the fundraising site of the, uh, we are a Christian fundraising site and we won't interfere with freedom. They've already raised millions, I think, as of the recording of this podcast in the sort of, as of yesterday, $5 million range, I think Canadian, um, there was an, another channel, which is, is Benjamin Dichter, who, we've, you know, has been sort of touting Bitcoin as the sort of chosen cryptocurrency or, or of, of the, of the convoy protesters. And he's tapped into a whole other sort of constituency, which is the cryptocurrency uh, constituency who just think this is a, a great tool because it is by nature very hard for governments to intercept or block or, and it's not controlled by any corporation that can be prevailed upon to do the same. So now we're seeing sort of a, a brisk cryptocurrency fundraising campaign. And do we know if this money has actually gone to anyone? Like are the protesters who are in Ottawa, have they actually seen any money to, to pay for gas and pay for food and stuff like that? So GoFundMe raised $10 million, but one million of that was apparently released by GoFundMe to the Freedom Convoy uh, organizers, who last week registered a, a, a registered not-for-profit entity, Freedom Convoy 2022, uh, with some named controlling directors that will be dispersing these these funds. Now, how fast they're being dispersed or or what's being bought, I, I don't have any knowledge of that. I think it is it is either trying to set up the appropriate mechanisms to to ensure that the money gets to the truckers because the convoy organizers have repeatedly stated, this is not for us, this organizer, that organizer, another organizer. It's, it's going to go to the truckers. It's going to feed them. It's going to fuel them, etc. But the cryptocurrency fundraising, is there any chance that that money could be blocked, um, I guess, in a similar way that the, the GoFundMe money was was blocked or, or prevented from getting to, to these individuals? You know, there's a lot of interest in cutting the funding or curbing the funding or prosecuting, you know, Mark Carney wrote, a, 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 the former Bank of Canada governor wrote an essay for our newspaper saying that this, you know, you have to use every legal mechanism mechanism to stop the flow of foreign funding. Well, it's it's not that simple. There are, you know, uh, certainly people who study the law that I've spoke to, people like uh, Jessica Davis, a former FinTrack and, and CSIS analyst, and uh, Leah West, who, uh, who worked as a federal national security lawyer, are sort of hard-pressed to think of any laws that currently exist that could be used here to block the flow of funds. You know, I think what they said is federal investigators are looking at this, but if the flow of funds is legal under our current laws, then not much anybody can do about it. Now, you know, there was a memo put out about six months ago by the FinTrack, the Financial Intelligence Agency of Canada, saying that, you know, they were overall concerned about people gravitating to sort of whack-a-mole crowdfunding services where you shut down one, but another crowdfunding pops up and the rise of cryptocurrency. 
which, you know, are effectively not very easily traceable in the same way that more standard money flows would be. As much as the government might want to make noise about curbing the flow of funds, there aren't a lot of legal mechanisms to do so. Mm -hmm. So Colin, from everything we've talked about here, it sounds like there's people from a lot of different corners that have really come together in this movement. What would you say brings them all together? Like, what do they all have in common then? Right. So, you know, I've attended a couple of these sort of uh, satellite rallies like last Saturday when the protest in Toronto and it was one of several across capital provincial capitals in, in, in Canada, you know, and you would hear people like uh, Lamont Degler from an anti-vaccination sort of group known as the line say, you know, we've been waiting for two years for for the truckers or, to come here or an issue like the truckers to come here because what the truckers have supplied is a sort of a rallying point, a sort of palatable blue-collar work ethic protagonist figure that a lot of causes could glom themselves onto, even though they are not themselves truckers or in the trucking industry. We we print every day that the uh, the mainstream trucker organizations disavow this protest and, and truckers are 90% vaccinated like everybody else in Canada. There are entities like the Canadian Security Intelligence Service in Ottawa, a federal government agency that has been issuing public warnings about ideologically motivated extremism. And what is what is that? It's something that's nebulous by nature, where you have these sort of people who are suspicious of government, who don't like Justin Trudeau, who may be angry. And this was always there, but what's been happening is that the COVID and the COVID pandemic measures have sort of accelerated these pre-existing trends so that all of a sudden people who wouldn't have necessarily common cause with each other suddenly have a common cause together. And that is basically the authority of the state. Uh, you know, I think there is, uh, you know, even the previous week in Vaughan, when the convoy rally was passing through the, that city north of Toronto, I spoke to a woman who, whose own husband died of COVID. But there she was uh, joining the, the 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 freedom convoy and saying that she'd had enough of pandemic measures and, you know, her dead husband would support her appearance in, in that protest. So, again, you, whoever the organizers are, there are a lot of people they've brought along who've been frustrated with the pandemic and the government response to it for whatever reason. I think their exhaustion and frustration with, with this sort of perpetual state of uh, of society being on hold is something the government should register. At the same time, the ringleaders, everybody should know, bring to the table some problematic pre-existing views and are sort of, in the cases of somebody like Benjamin Dichter, for example, and seem to be sort of you know, uh, invoking the truckers for reasons that are unrelated uh, necessarily, or at least fitting it into a paradigm where they want to um, cause people to question the the power and authority of the state. And and just just lastly here, because you you mentioned that you 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 were speaking to protesters last weekend in in Toronto. From everything that you've seen and 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 that you've looked at, how? are the protesters' views, how aligned are they with the views of, of the leadership of this movement? I don't think they are necessarily aligned. I, I do think that there's a lot of people who see utility in advancing their own brands and causes around this rallying point, you know, and a, a lot of people that were relegated to the margins individually have found each other. None of this is to say that people don't have a legitimate right of protest. None of this is to say that the, you know, the pandemic hasn't hasn't been hard on the working class or put people out of work, because I think, you know, there is a lot of people who have lost their jobs, who are having trouble feeding their families. 
that's all there. And there's a lot of people, frankly, who don't like the pandemic measures or, or don't want them to go on forever and would like to get their lives back to normal. But I think that is fuel for, for the you know fire that's currently raging in Ottawa, where, where you sort of have a inner circle of, of people like whom we discussed who had their own causes uh, and who found each other and who found a, a rallying point to, um, to bring everybody together. Colin, thank you so much for speaking with us and helping us understand everything that's, that's going on here. Thank you very much. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.